Welcome to the Trinity Baptist Church podcast with Dr. Robert Creech. For more information about our church and to keep up to date with the latest resources, please visit our website at www.trinitybaptist.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning, church. The Lord is with you. When our children were young, as uh, your parents probably did, uh, we wanted them to grow up polite and not rude, and so we began to teach them manners along the way, how to behave in a civilized way uh, with other people around. And one of the things that we teach children very young is what we call the magic words. Remember the magic words? What are they? Please and thank you. Yeah, those are the magic words. Now, uh, it's just better to say, please pass the salt in a more civilized way than to just say, give me the salt and reaching out for it. So we want people to, we want our kids to grow up more polite in the world. And when someone does something for us, we're supposed to acknowledge that politely with a thank you. And if we forget to say that as a child, some adult is probably going to gently nudge us by saying, what do you say? And to remind the child, this is a time to say, thank you. Now, I'm all for civility and politeness. Our world is marked by too much incivility and rudeness right now. And it's better that we grease the skids of our relationships with politeness and civility however we can. But I want to make an assertion this morning that saying thank you is more than good manners. It's good spirituality. This is at least if those words flow out of a heart that is truly grateful for what is given to us and what is ours in the world and in our lives. When it flows from a heart like that, gratitude is more than manners. It is spirituality. It is learning to live with thanks is learning to live a life that understands that our life has been shaped by the grace of God. It's more than good manners. Paul worked with a consciousness, an awareness that life is going to be viewed, his life was going to be viewed as an example by the other people around him, his churches. We talked about that some last week. He didn't have anything to leave with these new Christians in Philippi or Colossae or anywhere other than the memories they had of what he had taught them, what he had said, and how he had been around them. In chapter 3, verse 17 of Philippians, he had said earlier, Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and observe those who live according to the example you have in us. Uh, pay attention to us. We're trying to live this life in Christ in front of you in such a way that you'll remember what it's supposed to look like. He said something similar in chapter 4, verse 9. He said, keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, and the God of peace will be with you. Pay attention to the lives that are lived in front of you, he said. The final words of Paul in this letter are examples, an example he's setting, and I think he's clear and conscious that he's doing that. He is teaching them and he's teaching us that life in Christ is to be lived with a sense of gratitude. There are two big ideas that surface in these final verses of Paul's book. One is contentment, and the other is gratitude. And those two things are closely connected. This morning, we will pay attention to the practice of gratitude. But 
the more that's practiced, the more likely that contentment will find its way into our life also. I like to think of the reality that the more we practice gratitude, there are some things in our hearts and lives that just can't stand to be there anymore. And they, they look for the exit. They pack their bags and leave. Discontent and complaining and murmuring don't live well in the presence of gratitude. So off they go. And when gratitude comes in, it often leaves the door open, invites in some of his good friends like contentment and joy and humility. There's an exchange that takes place in our hearts as we learn to live more intentionally with gratitude. The book of Philippians really is at its heart a thank you note. Paul has been in prison in Rome, and his friends in Philippi had heard about that. They heard that he was living under house arrest, which meant he was responsible for his own sort of food and lodging if he were not going to be put into a Roman jail. So he needed money to sustain himself, and yet he was locked up, had no way of earning that. So his friends in Philippi gathered up a gift, and they handed it to one of their leaders, Epaphroditus, and he made that arduous journey from Philippi and Macedonia to Rome and delivered that to Paul, and Paul was grateful to receive it. He was also grateful to see his friend Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus fell ill while he was there. I don't think he had COVID, but it was something that almost took his life. And when he finally recovered and was well enough to make the journey back to Philippi, Paul wrote this letter down, and there he expressed his gratitude. He explained Epaphroditus's delay in returning, and he addressed some of the issues in the church that we've come across along the way that Epaphroditus had made him aware of. But at its heart, it's a thank you note. The financial gift he had received from them would have been a help, and Paul was more than polite. He was grateful, and he wanted to tell his friends so, expressing his gratitude for the gift and for the messenger. Now, he instructed them uh, in chapter 4, verse 7, right before, passage we looked at last week, that gratitude was part of the response to anxiety and worry. He had said in chapter 4-7, do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And now in chapter 4, verses 10 through 20, here's his thank you note at the end of the letter. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you've revived your concern for me. You were concerned for me, but had no opportunity to show it. Not that I'm referring to being in need, for I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little, and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and being in need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In any case, it was kind of you to share my distress. You Philippians indeed know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs more than once. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that accumulates to your account. I have been paid in full and have more than enough. I'm fully satisfied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will fully satisfy every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. 
to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Gratitude to God and to other people was a practice in Paul's life. It was the way he lived life. And so here before his friends in Philippi is saying, imitate me. Uh, pay attention to what you've seen and heard and been taught by me. And one of the things that they had seen and heard been taught was Paul lived this life where he practiced gratitude to God and to others for the gifts that were his. With the exception only of his letter to the Galatians, all the other 12 letters of Paul begin with a word of thanksgiving. I thank my God, he always starts out at the beginning of the letter, and finds some reason to give thanks for these friends to whom he's writing. I thank my God. And he taught his churches to practice gratitude. For example, the book right next door to Philippians in the New Testament is the book of Colossians, probably written from the same prison cell that Philippians was written from addressed to some people that he did not know face to face. But I want you to hear the way in this little short letter, he continually says to them, gratitude is a part of living the Christian life, and you need to learn to practice it. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 3, he says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and the love you have for all the saints. And then in chapter 1, verses 9 through 14, he prays for these people in Colossae that they would live a life worthy of the Lord that had saved them and brought them into his kingdom, a life that was worthy of what God had done for them. And when he describes that worthy life, he turns to the issue of gratitude again as the right response to the grace of God. He prayed they would be constantly giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light, constantly giving thanks to the Father. In chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, he is talking about what it means to live life under the reign of Christ, as with Christ as Lord, a life of discipleship that's deeply rooted in a relationship with the Lord Jesus. And he says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, Continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. It's part of a life rooted in the lordship of Christ. In chapter 3, he describes uh, the life lived under Christ's lordship in kind of before and after manner. You were once this way, but now this is what God is doing in your life. And at the heart of that life lived under Christ's lordship is gratitude. It's mentioned three times in this little passage. Uh, chapter 3, verse 15 to 17. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And then in his final instructions to the folks in Colossae, he's asking them to pray for him. And he says this in chapter 4, verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. As I said, he likely wrote that letter during the same imprisonment from which he wrote a letter to the Philippians. 
And that much attention given to the issue of gratitude in the life of people, coming from a man who is writing from a prison cell, it seems like makes it far more important. So it's worth asking the question, why is gratitude so important in our Christian life? It's certainly more than politeness. Sometimes it helps me to think about things like gratitude and other things by considering what is the opposite of gratitude. Well, you might say, well, that one's easy. The opposite of gratitude is ingratitude. Well, not so fast. Um, ingratitude sounds like nothing more serious than rudeness to me. It's like not sending the thank you note to Aunt Susie who sent you that sweater last Christmas. But ingratitude is a symptom of something that's more dark, far darker, and says something about the nature of the human heart. Ingratitude is a symptom of pride. When we are prideful and we think we deserve things, we don't say thank you so much. We're not so grateful. It's a symptom of selfishness. It's a symptom of a character that sees itself at the center of the universe. The world owes me something, particularly comfort. And if it doesn't provide me that, then I'm going to be complaining and complaining and complaining. I feel entitled. I feel privileged. I make demands. And at the heart of that ingratitude is this very, very self-centered person. The mere failure to say thank you to God and to the people in our life is evidence of a damaged heart. And the transformation of our heart, which is the thing God is after, after all, the transformation of our heart is facilitated by learning to practice gratitude. Where does a grateful heart come from? Well, I don't think gratitude is usually something that just falls on us out of the sky one day, like a, uh, a heavy rain. Remember what those are. One day, it's not that the case that one day we are proud, demanding, self-centered, entitled, privileged people, and, and the next day we finally suddenly find ourselves recognizing that all that we have is a gift from God and that others in our life are important to us and that they've contributed to us and that suddenly we realize that and poof, we have become grateful people suddenly. That might happen to some people if like Ebenezer Scrooge, you have a very close encounter with death and then uh, maybe the next day you wake up really grateful to be uh, this side of, on this side of the dirt. But for most of us, it doesn't happen that suddenly. It is a practice. Gratitude is not simply a quality that inherently belongs to some people and other people just don't get. That's not it. It's not something you're born with. It's an acquired, learned attitude about the world. It's the outcome of practice. It's something we intentionally give ourselves to if we intend to live grateful lives. We learn to focus on God and what God has done for us, on others and what they contribute to our life. And as we learn to practice that, we learn to be grateful people. And as we learn gratitude, other things in our lives begin to shift around. Did you hear the way Paul words those instructions to the Colossian Christians? They're imperatives. Be thankful. Give thanks. Do this. It's an action we decide to take. It's not possible to claim that Jesus is Lord and to live a life of ingratitude. Paul says gratitude is inherently part of this life of discipleship in following Christ. It's a key component of life lived under his lordship, and it's not an end in itself. It's a means to an end. We don't give thanks just to give thanks. As we give thanks, God uses 
that attitude and that practice to shift some things in us. It changes. The grateful heart becomes a more humble heart. It no longer has to demand its way and insist on its own way. It no longer expects privilege. It no longer expects to be uh, uh, having its own way or to pretend to be something it's not. A grateful heart is much more a humble heart. Humility is one of the friends that gratitude invites to come in. Grateful heart ceases to complain. It starts to see God's hand at work in the past, even when things were uncomfortable, and seeing God's hand at work in the present. And uh, it trusts God despite circumstances without whining. Paul had mentioned that character trait of a kingdom citizen a couple of chapters earlier in Philippians. Remember when he had said in 2.14, do all things without murmuring and arguing? Well, the way to overcome murmuring and arguing is to invite gratitude in, and these two guys don't like living there in the same house, and so they move out. The grateful heart lives with an awareness that God has given all of us more than we deserve, and others contribute things to our life of which we're not worthy. That's a recognition that grows and is learned. Gratitude is a practice. It's something we learn by doing, and by doing it, we're changed. Gratitude is a practice like prayer is a practice, like worship is a practice, like study or memory of Scripture is a practice. It's something we intentionally do, and over time, we are changed in the process. Suddenly, uh, not suddenly, but eventually, we develop authentic humility, and we more frequently notice the work of God around us and pay attention to the contribution that others make to our lives, and our complaining becomes less frequent, and joy and contentment begin to grow. It's a practice. So how do you practice gratitude? Well, there must be 10 dozen ways to do that. You could make your own list, I'm certain. I've thought through some that have made sense to me, and maybe you might want to choose one or two of these and do them ruthlessly for a while and see if it makes any difference. But um, we can't afford to live ungratefully. We cannot as disciples of Jesus. So off we go. Here are what I'm going to call, stealing from Stephen Covey, seven habits of deeply grateful people. Here are some habits. Try reading the last few chapters of each gospel repeatedly, the story of Jesus' death. Read them slowly and imaginatively and reflectively. And do it again and again and again. I know you know the story. That's not the point. It is to steep ourselves in the reality that this is what God offered us because God loves us. We did not deserve this. Read it until you feel grateful, not until you feel knowledgeable. A.T. Robertson uh, was a Greek professor at Southern Seminary several generations back. One of his students was my teacher in college, and he was an elderly man at the time. So Robertson lived some time ago. He was a brilliant scholar. He wrote a grammar of the Greek New Testament that I do not exaggerate is about seven inches thick. It is a huge book, and he was a deeply pious man. There's a story that uh, was told about one of his students went and knocked on his door, office door one day, and uh, he didn't hear Dr. Robertson in there, and they called him Dr. Bob, and they, but the door sort of cracked open, and he saw the teacher bent over his desk with his hands and his, his face in his hands, and he was clearly weeping. And the student went in and said, Dr. Bob, is everything okay? And uh, he, he sat up, 
and had his Greek New Testament in front of him, and he pushed it away. He said, yes, I, I was just reading again how my Savior died for me. And uh, I, that's, that may be a good source of gratitude for many of us. We take for granted so much that story of the passion that we have heard so many times and that we sing about. Read the end of the Gospels repeatedly until gratitude starts to raise its head in your heart. Another place to turn in scriptures is to read the Psalms. All of them actually would be helpful, but try the 23rd Psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, or the 107th Psalm, which is a Psalm of thanksgiving, or the 150th, it just calls you to everything in creation to praise the Lord, or the 18th Psalm, or the 90th. There are Psalms all through there that call attention to God's goodness and graciousness to us and urge us to pray with the psalmist, thank you, thank you, thank you. Yet in the spirit of giving thanks to God for all the good things that he's done. Reading the Psalms. You might read passages in Paul's letters. Paul was the one who practiced gratitude so well. You could read the opening chapters of most of his letters. Colossians 1 and Ephesians 1 and Philippians 1 and Philippians 2 about Christ coming and emptying himself. Read Romans 5, read Romans 8, read 1 Corinthians 15. These passages where Paul describes all that God in grace has done for us in Christ. Those are places where gratitude can grow. Um, and learn to underline the things that you have to give thanks for spiritually and make that a practice. That's something we could do. A fourth thing is just start noticing things more. We are so, most of us, unconscious as we go through the day. We, we almost, we might as well be zombies at times. We go through the day without noticing the, the many, many gifts that are ours surrounding us. You are alive. You are breathing air right now. You will, in a few hours, taste some delicious food. You're going to walk away from the table with your stomach full. Tonight, you'll lay your head down in a warm, clean bed. You have eyes to see the beauty of the world around you. Notice those things. Be mindful of those things. Every day is filled with hundreds of experiences that are worth pausing to say thank you for. If only we will see them. They're evidence of God's goodness. We need to stop ignoring them and learning to say thank you a dozen times a day for all that surrounds us. Take a look at the heavens at night and realize you're not the center of the universe. Your comfort and your convenience and mine are not the biggest issues here. There is so much that is good and beautiful and wonderful that surrounds us. And noticing it and saying thank you is a practice. G.K. Chesterton, who was an influence on C.S. Lewis, wrote these words. He said, you say grace before meals, all right, but I say grace before the concert and the opera, and grace before play and pantomime, and grace before I open a book, and grace before sketching, painting, swimming, fencing, boxing, walking, playing, dancing, and grace before I dip the pen in the ink. Just learning to be grateful for all that is ours in life is a practice. A fifth thing might be to start noticing people in a new way. That's the other thing we ignore regularly, or if we think about them at all, it's with a little bit of complaint most often. People are amazing. Every single one of them that you ever meet are amazing, and they contribute so much to your life. 
Your wife is amazing. Your husband is amazing. Your children are amazing. Your parents are amazing. Your friends and your coworkers are amazing creatures made in the image of God, people for whom Christ died. And it just takes a little more attention paid to them before you realize there is a miracle in front of you every time you see a living being. Pay attention to those. The waiter who takes your order, the waitress that brings out your food, the people that serve you in a dozen ways throughout the day, say thank you to them as well as to God for all they do. That's a practice. Consider how it is that the best gifts we ever receive from anyone come from a relationship. We are not so thankful for the gift as we are for the giver. And the more we pay attention to that, the more grateful we become. Start noticing people in a new way. And here's a common one. Make a list, a gratitude list. That's a common practice in the recovery movement is to work on a gratitude list. Um, Ann Voskamp wrote a little book called A Thousand Gifts about gratitude. And in there, she urged people to keep a gratitude list of the tiniest things, but writing them down until you found a thousand things to be thankful for. Um, just adding a few each day. Matt Redman is the songwriter and contemporary hymn writer who taught us to sing 10,000 reasons for my heart to sing. There are plenty of reasons around to give thanks. Maybe some of you have read Mary Ellen Robinson's novel, Gilead. She tells the story about this elderly pastor, John Ames. Actually, the, the book is one long letter that John Ames is writing to his young son. Uh, because he knows he's got congestive heart failure. He's not going to live long enough to, for his son to know him, so he writes his life story in there. But as he gets down near the end of his life, Ames uh, begins to notice that though his days are becoming fewer, he's paying attention to the details in the world around him more and more, thankfully, and with gratitude. He has a line in there I like very much. He said, there are a thousand, thousand reasons to live this life every one of them sufficient if we have eyes to notice them. The gratitude list can kind of help with that. Document the reasons and we'll be changed by it. You can not just see the things around you. You can spend some time taking inventory. What do you have to be grateful for? Maybe start with the past. Where have you been? What's been provided for you? What opportunities have been yours that have opened up? What strength did your family provide you? As much as possible, just inventory those items from your past and then turn to the present. Who are you? What do you have? Who's your family? Who are your friends? Where do you live? What's your health like, your freedom, your work? You begin to take inventory of the things that are ours and give thanks for those. We express gratitude about those material and physical blessings, but then begin to realize what those spiritual blessings are that we have in Jesus Christ and inventory those as well. What's true of your life in Christ? And you want to bring to God in gratitude even those things in your life that have often been painful and difficult because it's likely that you found even in those some reasons to give thanks. And you learn to pay better attention to the details around you uh, suddenly you start noticing more of those and you add them to the list. Keep the list hand, handy because uh, over the weeks and months ahead, if you choose this practice, uh, you'll eventually find your thousand reasons to give thanks. Gratitude list. It's a simple practice, but it changes the way we see the world and what we pay attention to. We talked about this a few weeks ago, but play a game with yourself where you 
catch yourself complaining. And when you do, look for something to be grateful about. You might want to write down all your complaints, just like your gratitude list. Write down every single one of them. Get them out of your head and onto the paper and see them for what they are. Then see if you can get them down to 10 a day. Or maybe five a day after that, and then maybe once a day, and maybe go a whole day without complaining to anyone, God, or anyone else about anything. Those are practices. It's ways of practicing gratitude. All of us, all of us need to learn to practice gratitude more frequently, more deeply. And in doing that, we will be changed. God calls us to that. Be thankful. So what are you going to do? Learning to say thank you is not just good manners, it's good spirituality. And we need to choose some way to move forward intentionally to work on gratitude in our lives. We all need it. Thank you for listening this morning, by the way. I appreciate your being here. Let's pray together. Our Lord, we are truly grateful. We know you know our hearts. We're here largely because we thank you for what you've done for us in Christ. Lord, we are also so preoccupied with ourselves and so preoccupied with our world and our worries and concerns that we just pass by stacks and piles of your good gifts that are offered to us in grace in so many ways. We pray for eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart that will learn more frequently to respond to that wonderful grace with a thank you and with true gratitude. Lord, we ask you to uh, help shape that in us and give us strength by your Holy Spirit for the practice that we might learn what you want us to learn. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed your segment of the Trinity Baptist Church podcast with Dr. Robert Creech. Join us next week for another segment. For more information about our church, please visit our website at trinitybaptist.org.